Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine. And with me today is... Happily retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli on another glorious Friday. How you doing? Good, how are you? You know, I'm looking forward to the weekend. All right, me, uh, me as well. But before we get to the weekend, let's get started with the lineup, and we'll jump right into our first story. Um, that sends us to Texas, where um, security camera video captured uh, just a dramatic scene between a police, an Amarillo police officer, a suspect, and a bystander helping out. Um, the Amarillo police officer was trying to apprehend a suspect um, after a foot chase. And during the struggle, the suspect repeatedly tried to grab his gun. A bystander nearby came in to help out. During the struggle, um, the suspect again tried to grab the gun and a shot went off. No one was injured. The suspect was taken into custody. But um, I believe one um, uh, Amarillo police uh, spokeswoman had said it was a fight for his life. Um, boy, a, a scary, scary moment, both for the police officer and the bystander helping out. Uh, you know, it shows kind of when you're a bystander, you know, it, it's great that that he's helping. But boy, if if he had been been shot. You know, so a couple of observations here, Joe, mm-hmm. and, and and they're to me the, the biggest one. Number one, thanks to the citizen, hundred percent awesome that a citizen jumps in, helps a citizen, or helps a police officer. Uh, we could say, well, it's Texas. What would you expect? But <laughs> um, you know, it, this happens all over the country. We have good citizens who support the police, and they'll jump in to help out. And you know, I, I don't want to talk them out of it, but very few of them probably stop and think about the fact that there's a gun in every fight that they're, that the police are involved in because the police bring it. We, we have it on us. It's there all the time. Um, and that's something that the general public seems to forget that, you know, people that are very critical of police officers when they have uh, whatever fights they have or whatever they do. And they're like, why they do that? It wasn't a big threat. What it, cops have a gun on all the time and we have to keep control of it. And this is a perfect example of how, uh, you know, a suspect grabs for the officer's gun and I'd love to know what kind of holster it was, not being critical of anything. I'd love to know what kind of holster it was that the gun was pulled out far enough that the trigger could be activated, which is the only way that the gun could be fired. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're reading through the article that, that accompanies the video and I, I encourage everybody to go watch the video. Um, you know, the, the, the guy, the officer tries to affect the arrest. The suspect runs He fights and he runs. The officer chases the suspect into an alley. Number one, uh, when you think about most alleys, confined space, uh, limited line of sight, places you can see, you can't see all that stuff. The officer knocks the suspect to the ground. Great job. We want to always be on top. They start struggling and the suspect tries to get the officer's gun. Now, we don't know how much of the holster security features were defeated in that original attempt. Uh, But then we see the bystander comes to the aid of the officer. The other thing we have to remember that we want citizens to remember, unless you are actively yelling at that police officer that you are there to help them, 
they don't know who you're there to help until right. they observe your actions, right? Mm -hmm. So now we have everybody struggling. Uh, the suspect's still trying to get the officer's gun, and a shot gets fired. The bullet grazed the officer. He's still able to perform. Absolutely terrifying for the officer, terrifying for the citizen. I hope it was terrifying for the suspect um, who ends up charged with attempted murder of the police officer. Uh, you know, but so there's what are the points we have? Citizens have to be aware of the danger and we we love it when they accept that and they come help us. There's a gun in every fight fight that any police officer is involved in because we always have it. And police officers don't know who you are and what your intent is unless you are screaming it at the top of your lungs in the midst of that fight because they are going through what's called audio exclusion and what they're hearing is very limited. So you have to be really loud about it. But kudos to the officer, kudos to the citizen that jumped in to help. And I hope the suspect is found guilty by a jury of his peers and pays accordingly. And when I go through wire stories, you know, day to day, I, boy, uh, I'll run into that those situations, reading about those situations where a suspect grabs for the gun, whether the officer ha had already drawn his gun or whether it was still holstered. And most times the officer, you know, is able to keep the weapon. But, you know, even in the case where the weapon might not be um, taken off of the officer in a struggle like that, it, you know, it, 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 the gun, you know, you don't know what could happen. So, but yeah, yes, exactly. Congrats, you know, kudos to uh, both the officer and, and the, the citizen. Um, moving on to our next story. Uh, this brings us to Boston, um, where um, city officials are asking uh, residents uh, basically to shape up and stop attacking and disrespecting Boston police officers. Um, the Boston City Council President, Ed Flynn, uh, in a statement was quoted as saying, Boston police officers have experienced an increased level of physical and verbal assaults as they respond to emergency calls and patrol our neighborhoods. The violence against police and first responders is unacceptable and needs to be condemned. 100%. So here's my question, because that's the president of the city council in Boston. I'd like to have every other member of the Boston City Council come out and say, 100%, he's on point, everybody needs to stop this. I'd be willing to bet that one or two of them won't because it might cost them some votes and that's what they're really there for if they're politicians. Now, again, kudos to the president of the Boston City Council. Um, if you read the article that goes with it, there's a senator that, that has mimicked his words. Um, and, you know, Joe, this is a side effect of just the last few years of people hating on the police, uh, you know, the mainstream media, I love to yell about the mainstream media, condemning everything the police do, um, nitpicking every little teeny tiny thing, hindsight's twenty twenty. but none of those people that are being critical have ever had to fight somebody into a pair of handcuffs or fight for their life, uh, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time. I, I love that a politician's coming out in support of the Boston PD. I love that they're saying this disrespect and this violence has got to stop. If they really want to do something, they ought to get the Boston, uh, the, the Massachusetts legislator, late legislature. Believe it or not, I have not been drinking anything but tea today. 
the the Massachusetts legislature to pass laws, uh, you know, making these kinds of crimes carry bigger penalties. I mean, let, let's let's get some deterrence going on, because obviously the people are not showing the police any respect. They're not showing them any appreciation. Uh, it's becoming a game and we can't have that. That's that's not how society works. It was interesting too. Um, a quote from uh, Larry Calderon, the president of the Boston Police Patrolmen's Association, and he said, "We're not trying to say that we can arrest our way out of this problem. We're pushing community intervention, community service." Um, and I think that really kind of sums it up. Is it's not the idea of necessarily crack. I mean, it is cracking down, but also it's. It's changing the behavior. It's getting the community to react. And in a lot of cases, um, maybe not as, as aggressive as the previous story, but of other citizens, of other bystanders kind of stepping in and telling people to, hey, you know, stop it. Um, uh, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see um, if this if this call to action actually produces any action um, and um, if uh, Boston police police officers actually see a change. It'd be interesting to see. And it's also interesting to me that when you look at how this whole, this, this reported incident and everything that happened, um, one of the instances reported is a group of 30 to 40 teenage people uh -huh. harassing shoppers, uh, including, I'm going to say assault, throwing soda bottles from the top of a parking garage. Now, if somebody throws a soda bottle at you, even if it's plastic and it's two, three, four stories and hits you in the head, you're looking at potentially some serious injury. Why would 30 or 40 teenagers, and keep in mind that teenaged can mean 18 or 19 and they are lawfully adults, right? Uh -huh. What's entertaining about this? What, what has happened in that city, in that area, in that community, whatever, that makes these people feel like, hey, this is entertainment. Let's see if we can scare and hurt people. It, it, something's got to change. Yeah. Moving on to our next story. Um, uh, this is out of Dallas. Um, a Dallas police officer uh, apparently took his own life uh, following a fatal shooting that he was involved in. He was one of four officers who were uh, part of a U.S. North Texas fugitive task force who had, um, <clears throat> excuse me, tracked down a murder suspect. And as they tried to arrest him, um, you know, had to use their weapons and um, the suspect was shot and killed. Um, a day after that incident, um, the officer, it, it seems, uh, took his own life. Um, uh, we have talked in previous podcasts about how uh, just the the effects uh, that shootings like this can have on officers well after the incident itself um that the, there is an aftermath for them um even when it's a justified shooting um i i think that this unfortunately this tragedy kind of um shows that my heart bleeds for this police officer who took his own life for all of the dallas police department for the people on that fugitive task force that knew him for his family for his friends um, yeah, we have talked about this before, you know, and, and um, people, we, we, I, don't, I don't think we train enough for the aftermath. We, we teach officers all kinds of stuff about use of force and when we could and when we should and when we shouldn't. Um, 
very few people, uh, and Colonel Dave Grossman does does a great presentation on this called the Bulletproof Mind. Very few people talk about how we're raised in a society, especially if you're in a Judeo-Christian ethos that says thou shalt not kill. Killing's a sin um, because that's how it says in the James, King James Bible, the sixth commandment, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and originally it was thou shalt not murder. And there is a big difference between murder, cold-blooded, vengeful, selfish murder, and the unfortunate killing that is na- mandated uh, by justice, righteousness, self-defense, defense of the innocent, anything else. Um, you know, this this guy that was killed, four officers fired at him. Obviously, it wasn't just one guy who thought it was a good idea to pull the trigger, one officer. Um, you know, four officers shoot him, he pointing gun at them. Um, but we don't know what was going through this officer's mind. We don't know what stress he was under. We don't know what he was afraid of. We don't know what he was feeling. What we do know is he felt there was no other way out except to take his own life. And we've got to get to a point where officers understand if you have to do this, there's going to be an emotional roller coaster. Don't ride it alone. Um, I mean, mean, not to, not to use that analogy, but theme parks don't even run roller coasters unless they have enough people to balance out the car. Don't ride the ride alone. You could talk to your spiritual leader, whoever that is, priest, minister, reverend, I don't care what religious faith you come from, talk to them, talk to a psychologist or psychiatrist, talk to your best friends, talk to somebody you trust. I mean, there's a lot of people out here who are going to say, hey, you did the right thing. You just got to, you got to wait till the ride stops and then you can get off. There's, there's, we have got to do a better job of preparing officers before they even ever leave the academy to deal with the emotional injury they're going to get if they have to do this in the line of duty, because they're going to get attacked no matter how right they were. Some organization is going to leverage it to say they were wrong. Uh, News outlets are going to call are, are going to write stories and they might not say that the officer's wrong but they're going to write stories implying he was wrong um you know he's got to deal with the he's gambling or or is a grand jury going to indict him or clear him what's his financial status going to be is it going to cost him to, to defend his name what's going to is his family going to get threats i mean there's so much baggage that goes with a, a lethal use of force we we really really have to prioritize this uh, to prep officers before they ever get out there and they get in the situation. And we have to make sure they understand all the services that are available if they do have to do this to support them after the fact, to, to help them, to guide them, to mentor them, to coach them. Um, we're losing too many cops to suicide and, and there's just no good reason for it. And, and what struck me too with this story is um, this officer was an 18-year veteran of the department. It, it wasn't like he was new to the force or new to the the rigors of the job, um, which you know goes to show you too. Possibly, and you know what? I'm not going to speculate. Um, well, but, no, but you know what? 18 years later, we assume he's learned how to deal with the rigors of the right. job. But for all exactly. we know, for all we know, he's just teetering on the edge. And this was the pound of weight that pushed him over. This was the pound of weight he couldn't carry. Um, And all that stuff builds up. It doesn't, you might be able to, you know, you start out and you, you've kind of, you think you've, um, you've worked through it or, or, or kind of gotten past it and maybe you've just stuffed it down and it, it just, 
you just keep piling on each one and, and you you can hit a, a a breaking point you know a point where yeah if you, we, it, need to do, we need to do a whole nother podcast about just this topic yes like you know i'm going to leave everybody with this thought on this particular article before we move on the average citizen in this country experiences two traumatic events two truly traumatic events in their entire life okay on average two the average police officer experiences 800 in the course of their career. Mm. So if the average citizen needs psychological help or spiritual help or emotional support for their one or two traumatic events, what's the average police officer need for the 800? We should not be surprised that this happens and we should be actively doing something better about it. But uh, keep this guy in the Dallas PD his fugitive task force brothers, all all of his family, keep them all in your prayers if you're a praying type. We'll move on to our next story. Uh, this brings us to Los Angeles, um, where the Los Angeles Police Department, and like many other departments in the country, is facing issues with staffing, and it's at its lowest um, since the 1990s. Um, you know, again, the I. I the mayor has said that uh, she would like to she wants to get um, the uh, amount of officers up to nine thousand three hundred or excuse me, nine thousand five hundred. Um, yep. Right now, they're just below um, nine thousand um, there. The uh, the union and the city have agreed to a tentative uh, contract. Um, that would bring raises and incentives, um, hopefully to not only recruit, but also retain the officers they have. Um, It's a continuing struggle. Big department, mid-sized department, uh, small department. So, and I think something really interesting in this article is uh, where they report, you know, in 2009, LAPD had nearly 10,000 officers and had its crime rate hit the, a 53-year low. Imagine that. More police equals less crime. Who would have thought? But this is, again, I, and I, I attribute this directly to the current societal environment where cops are hated, cops are ridiculed, um, cops are being attacked, and, and, and you know, they're being um, criminalized. Uh, they're being accused of things that they haven't done, um, or they're being accused of doing things for the wrong reasons. All this stuff. But for what it's worth, that 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 difference between the ninety three hundred and the eighty nine sixty seven that they have, eighty nine ninety five that they have, that's a four to five percent difference. Now shrink that number down to like just if it was a hundred cops, that means you only have ninety nine, right? Five mm. percent um, doesn't mean you have a hundred; means you have ninety five, and that means one out of every twenty calls for services is, is going on hold or it's not being answered. It's, it's that simple. Don't have a body to send. Um, they just graduated an academy class according to this, only had 29 attendees. That's really not a big class for LAPD. Um, they, they've got a big challenge out there. And and I know that the article says what their starting pay is around 74000 annually. Uh, I wonder if that number is actually just the pay or if that's, you know, base pay plus incentives and uniform allowances and overtime estimates and blah, blah, blah. Um it might seem like a lot of money to a lot of people, but when you're in a fight for your life or criminals trying to take your gun out of your holster and a citizen has to help you because there aren't enough cops around, that's not enough, that's not enough money in the world. 
you can't do it. No. But you know, I, I feel bad for LAPD. Um, you know, one of the larger agencies in this country with uh ninety three hundred officers, what they should have shooting for ninety five, and they can't get nine thousand on the street. That's that's a challenge that, that it's going to be hard to overcome, and the city's going to pay the price. So crime rate's going to go up as the number of cops go down. Yep. Uh, moving on to our next story, we're back to Texas. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This is from San Antonio, um, where body camera footage captured uh, a dramatic chase and um, shooting uh, with uh, police officers who were pursuing a a uh, suspect who had several felony wanted on several felony warrants um what in the video what's just i was stunning to me was watching the an officer who uh was in his cruiser uh pursuing the via the suspect who was on foot and um once they had gotten to a spot to confront the officer, the or the suspect, the officer um, had fired through the windshield of the cruiser, and apparently, according to the story, uh, was able to um, hit the suspect, uh, uh, killing him. Uh, I, I, boy, I have never seen a case of of that where where the um, officer himself hadn't received fire through the windshield already. Um, also with the officer more or less just stopping the car and maybe a split second, a second or two in between um, get it, having his weapon and firing. So a couple of really interesting things here about this for me as, as a officer survival instructor, Joe, mm -hmm. um, kudos to the officer. Okay. Shoot through the windshield. We, a lot of agencies will not allow a police officer by, by their general orders. They're prohibited from shooting out of or into a vehicle. Um, most of the time it says moving vehicle. So good thing the officer stopped stable shooting platform. Yes. But think about this. 92% of the population is right-handed. Guy shoots through the windshield, most likely right-handed. Would he have been better off hanging the gun out the open window and shooting with his left hand when he can't even look through his sights? No. To heck with the windshield. you got a convicted felon. Um, who's a violent felon running with a gun in his hand. Um, and, uh, you know, this officer stops the car, draws his weapon, gets a decent, I imagine, a decent grip. He's got a, a, a steering wheel to rest his hands on. He's got a dashboard to rest his hands on. It's going to be louder than all hell inside of the passenger compartment of a car when he pulls the trigger, but he fires two shots. Through the windshield, my only concern would be, because of the, the angle of the windshield, that the bullets might not go straight, that they'd be uh -huh. deflected down, just like if a, if you shoot at a windshield, uh, you really have to get at a, a, a greater angle. A lot of times bullets will bounce off a windshield, even though it's just glass, um, because of the angle of the shots. Uh, kudos to this officer, as unique as we see it, um, I, I, I hope that he pays no price because he was in the car when he pulled the trigger. I don't see where he did anything wrong, and you know, fleet management can get the windshield replaced. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Is 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 he going to be expected to to pay for the windshield? God, let's hope not. <laughs> let's hope not. Moving to our next story, um, this is in Minneapolis, where the city council um, unanimous excuse me unanimously approved um, a reorganizing the police department into two bureaus, where one division would handle 
uh, police operations. And then the other would be more community relating in an effort to build public trust post George Floyd. Um, I, there weren't a lot of details as far as, um, you know, what this, what the, how this is going to look. Uh, like the idea would be that there would be two assistant chiefs in charge of, of each bureau. Um, but this is part of uh, <clears throat> the um, the agreements that the uh, city and the de department have uh, going forward, again, post George Floyd um, and, and with reform efforts. You know, and, and kudos to Minneapolis. There, there's no information about how big that second bureau is going to be. And yeah, deputy chief in charge of each bureau. Okay, cool. Um, this is actually nothing new, really. The military used to do this all the time. When I was a military police officer, one base I served at, we had combat MPs and we took all the calls that were dangerous, right? If it was an armed robbery call or a fight call or a domestic call, we took those. And then we had the garrison MPs and they did the traffic enforcement and they, they wore the prettier uniforms and they worked the gate. And you know, you had that separation and it looks like Minneapolis is doing the same thing, but it'd be interesting to find out as this evolves, what the responsibilities and duties are going to be for the people in the, uh, the community relations section, right? I mean, most agencies have a community relations section anyway. It'll be interesting to see if these are, I don't know how to say this because I'm not trying to disparage Minneapolis in any way. It'll be interesting to see if it's just police officers in that second bureau or if they actually put in like psychological trauma nurses or psychologists or uh, substance abuse specialists or, you know, what, what are they really going to be doing with that extra bureau to reach out to the community? Or is this just a, uh, you know, a, a symbol of what they want? Do they want to be a kinder, gentler police department? It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Right. Yeah. I was wondering, too, if the mental health responders who would be be helping out in that community related thing, along maybe with other officers who, you know, more, who are involved in more outreach. But it'll yeah, it, it'll be uh, it should be interesting to watch as that unfolds. Indeed. Finally, for our last story, uh, this brings us to Florida. And as we like to do, we kind of, you know, we want to end on a on a happy note, so to speak. And this is a a, a a canine with the Bay County Sheriff's Office who was having a fun time um, during a um, a burglary call at a Baptist church. Um, this uh, this dog decided, you know what, that that baptismal pool looks really inviting on this hot day. I'm jumping in and I'm splashing about. Um, the uh, the canine was caught on an officer's body cam uh, taking the quick dip um, as the officers were um, going through the church, just making sure that the suspect that they had already apprehended didn't have a partner or any other um, associates uh, within the church. Um, he did not. And um, yes, the, uh, the canine might have been off his game a little bit, uh, who knows, but uh, he certainly was enjoying it. And the officer, uh, if the audio from the body cam is any testament, was also enjoying it because you could hear his laughter the minute the, the dog just just splashes into the, the, the baptismal pool. So I think it's really interesting that the suspect claims some un unidentified force. Oh, yes 
held him down in the church's baptistry pool. Um, so obviously, you know, he's been reborn and now we need to forgive him would be where I think he's probably going to go with that. But they actually caught him outside. Now, can you imagine? He's got to be standing there dripping wet, right? Loading stuff into his van to get away. But you're absolutely right. They still have to search. We have what's called the one plus rule. If you search a, a structure and you find one bad guy, you always assume there's one more. Um, so dog goes into search right now. If he smelled the suspect outside at all, the suspect's trail, and imagine that the trail of water from the baptistry is going to lead the dog to the pool. Yeah. Hey, I'm here. I might as well go <laughs> for a swim. It looks like it's a lot better than whatever the temperature was in the panhandle of Florida recently. <laughs> I mean, over a hundred in Southern Louisiana. I can't imagine the, the Gulf coast anywhere else is much better. Um, yeah, I think it's great. It, it, and I hope, I hope and pray, ironically, no yeah. pun intended, that the church will not, you know, have any offense or cause any concern because the dog jumped in the pool. Um, if there's an innocent creature in the world, it's the dogs that keep us happy and smile. And in this case, that's exactly what that dog did. Yeah. And, and you know, again, every, everyone's doing the right thing there. And um, it just, you know what they say in Hollywood? Don't don't work with the kids and animals. And, you know, that's not necessarily true with uh, in law enforcement. But um you know, sometimes, hey, dogs uh, have their own uh, their own system that they're working on. So. And sometimes they act just like children. Yes. <laughs> that is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please uh, come back again next week. And also, you know, while you're checking out uh, our podcast, check out some of the other ones that uh, Officer Magazine offers, uh, including Officer Roll Call. Uh, command Q&A and Undercover Dad. All right, everybody, stay safe. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.